0: All right, everybody. Hey, welcome to the New Life Assembly. Glad you guys made it out today. Listen, if um, if this is your first time with us, or if you haven't been back in a while, my name is Jeff Baker, and I'm one of the pastors on staff here. So it's an honor and a privilege to serve uh, what I would consider to be one of the greatest churches on planet Earth uh, with some of the greatest people. Amen. Amen. Not to mention serving the one true living God. I mean, let's make sure that that's why we're here, amen? <clears throat> We've been in a journey over these past few weeks uh, looking at the life of Christ really through somewhat of a CSI kind of uh, storytelling uh, lens. Has anybody ever watched any of those shows where it starts with the murder or it starts with the, the crime and then it jumps back and it says now two weeks ago and you start building back up to the event? The whole time as you watch those shows, you're, you're always caught, aren't you? Thinking, oh, it's that girl. She's the one that did it. Oh, no, it wasn't. And then, oh, it's that guy. He's the one that did it. You guys watch those kind of shows? You guys don't watch TV, do you? Okay. All right. I see how it goes. I see. There's this thing. It's called a TV. There's these shows. Start with the crime. Okay. Roger does it. Okay. Good. At least Roger does it. Good spiritual leadership. Good. Anyways, we all, we all knew, and everybody that came on Easter, they've heard the same story over and over again, Christ's death and his resurrection. Hey, listen, it is the crux of Christianity. Without it, we aren't here today, so we're not belittling it. But many times, we, we never dig deep into the man, Christ, the God-man, Jesus, To find out what was it that he really dealt with? What did he wrestle with in those last 24 hours of his life that led to this moment? It was, it's some really profound things. And so, uh, Pastor, Pastor Wine, I think, set it up with us, uh, for the first, uh, first couple. And here we are in the third, the third act, if you will, of the story. We find ourselves at a very critical place, like Connie said, where Jesus is facing rejection. So I was wondering, I was wondering to kind of help us maybe get into the, the storyline of uh, what's happening. Could you all reflect back with me to elementary school? All right. Elementary school. And there we are on the kickball field. And the incredible teacher has decided with all of his or her wisdom that they were going to pick two students and then let the rest of them be picked one by one at a time to decide who's going to be on kickball team A and kickball team B. And you know that fear Remember that heartbeat that started to pound inside of you? And what did it go back to? God, please don't let me be the last one picked. No one wanted to be rejected, even back then. Right? No one does. What about when you're with a group of friends and you've been doing life together and all of a sudden you find out, you go on your Facebook account just to find out that the whole group went out on Friday night to have fun, but no one invited you. Wow. Wow. Even to this day in our adult lives, that rejection can still pound hard in our hearts. What about when you've been overlooked at work for the job promotion that you felt like you deserved? But you weren't even considered. You weren't even interviewed. You weren't even one of the names on the list. And you got overlooked and you sit there in your office or at your workstation only to discover, I've been rejected. Those are horrible feelings. I remember when my youngest daughter came home uh, one day after school, she was in tears. And she was in tears because she loved a particular sport called volleyball. And she went out for the team. And she got rejected. She wasn't allowed to play on the team. And they said to her, listen, Christian, you're, you're really good. I mean, we like the way you play, but there's this one thing about you. You're not tall enough. And I said, I had to cry with my little girl and tell her, I am so sorry that you got your mother's jeans, sweetie. But if you were more like your mom, you would have been wearing high heels, and maybe that would have worked. <laughs> That's the truth. So, my wife today is homesick right now. So, please be praying, you know, for her. Uh, just came on yesterday, really suddenly, and so she says to me, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to <coughs> make it, you know, at the second service, and I said, honey, listen, you, you come you know, if, um, if you can climb out of that bed, you come, all right? I want you to be here. Uh, so she's going to try to make, make it here. If she comes, just greet her from the other side of the auditorium. <laughs> if she gets close to you, go to one of those hand sanitizer things, put it on your hands, rub it all over your face, <laughs> all right? So uh, just, just do that. But rejection, rejection is something none of us enjoy. It doesn't matter whether we're a child or we're an adult. Am I right? That's where Jesus is. Jesus doesn't even like rejection. Jesus, we find him right now. He's he's in the garden. Pastor Wine helped us get to the place where Jesus has been arrested. We're at this place now where Jesus is in the garden. All of the guards are around him. Some theologians believe there's possibly 200 people that came out to arrest Jesus. Many of them with swords. Jesus is now tied up and all of his disciples have scattered to him, Jesus is standing there with 200 accusers, and all the disciples are gone, and they, they begin to lead him to the high priest's house. They lead him down the trail, and they lead him through some of the streets, and it's at night. We're talking about three o'clock in the morning time frame. Jesus is being led through the streets. His hands are bound. There's a noose around his neck with a rope so that they can jerk him and pull him wherever they want to. That was a common way to escort a prisoner. So that they weren't going to get away. We were going to make sure that we had him like a dog with a collar. Jesus is walking in this manner. And I'm sure that along the way there's jerking and there's pulling and there's mocking and there's bumping and there's hitting. And the, the guards are there. And, the, and some of the priests are there. And they lead him to the high priest. The man in charge of all of the priest's. In the whole Jerusalem area, and here he stands, and he gets drugged into this courtyard, and he gets pushed in there, and shoved in there, and to the ground he falls, and with the rope they pull him back up by his neck, and he stands back up, and he's in this courtyard. There's jeering that's going on, and there's yelling that's happening, and there are people that are some of the high priests are probably some of the priests, excuse me, are probably high fiving one another, and they're just going, "Man, we finally got this guy," and they begin to one at a time. Bring in these witnesses, these set up people, these people that they had already said, we're going to go arrest Jesus. We want you to be at the high priest's house. We want you to give an account of what you heard him say. And one by one, they came up in front of Jesus and in front of the council of the elders of the church and the priests and the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And they began to say to them, "I, I, I heard Jesus. In fact, I think I was around when Jesus healed this guy on the Sabbath. I, I remember Jesus over here speaking something that goes against the old law. I, I, re, I just remember all these things and one at a time they would share and their, their witness and their story would just kind of fall apart as the evidence of it didn't hold ground. 30 minutes goes by. 45 minutes goes by. Person after person are trying to come up with, an, with a story that would accuse Jesus and make it worthy enough for him to die on a cross. And there's frustration in the camp. And then these two gentlemen walk in. And they go, here's what we heard. We heard Jesus standing in the temple. We heard him standing out in, in the public areas, pointing to the temple, saying, I, I will destroy this, and I will rebuild it without human hands in three days. And at that, the high priest Caiaphas, he stood to his feet with rage in his voice, and he said to Jesus, what do you say about that? And Jesus just remained silent. Caiaphas is just stirring with anger. He's finally got something that he thinks he's going to run with. He finally has something he thinks will stir up the crowds when they rush Jesus out into the public place. And they begin to say, he proclaimed that he would tear down that temple and build it with his own hands and that Pilate would have to accuse him and send him to the cross that day. That was their whole agenda, was to make sure Jesus died on a cross that day. Jesus wouldn't answer him. So finally... Caiaphas, furious, says to him, I demand in the name of the living God, tell us if you're the Messiah, if you're the Son of God. Jesus, very humbly, very boldly, begins to say these words in Matthew chapter 26. He says, I am. And you will see the Son of Man seated in the place of power at God's right hand and coming on the clouds of heaven. Well, at that statement, you are the Messiah. You are the Son of God. You claim to be the Son of God. Caiaphas stands up as the leader and tears his outer garment. He's horrified at what Jesus says. And he uses this powerful word and he says, Blasphemy! Blasphemy! That's blasphemy! And all the other priests and the elders of the church, they all rise up to their feet and they all begin to yell with, the, with one common voice, saying, You're guilty! He's guilty. I heard it out of his own mouth. He says he's the son of God. He's guilty. Crucify him. Crucify him. And the rage in that room just begins to stir. So much so that they begin to they come. And they, they huddle in around Jesus. And they take a blindfold and they wrap it around his eyes. And, they, and priests begin to beat him. And soldiers begin to beat him. And they begin to crush him in his face from the right side and then from the left side. And they reach out and they pull on his beard. And then another priest would slap the back of his head. And as all the time that they did this, they mocked him. They began to say to him, "If you are the Messiah. Then prophesy. Prophesy. Whack! Who hit you then? Boom! Who hits you now? Hey, if you really are the Son of God, then psh, who are you? Pull on his beard. And Jesus found himself in a place rejected by his peers and rejected by his authority. Here he was with other teachers of the law. Here he was with his authority, the high priests that were over him. Here he was rejected by his peers and his authorities. How do you feel, how do you think that Jesus? felt in this place being rejected by peers and authority i mean let's just step back for a moment what was the message of jesus the message of jesus was to come and to communicate his father and what is it that people are accusing him of blasphemy they're basically saying to jesus you have violated god and you have stepped upon everything that's sacred Everything that's sacred that is God, you stepped upon it, you violated him, they basically are looking at Jesus and beating him saying, you don't even know your own father. That's a big blow. That's a huge blow. You know, how would that blow feel to the humanity of Jesus? He lived his entire life to bring glory to his father. Many of us, I know what we would do, we would lash out and we would respond back and we would want to defend ourselves. We would want to stand up in a crowd like that, and we would want to shout back things of what's true and what's honest and what's worthy, and we would want to reaccount all the moments of when we had it right that they don't even know about. We would want to do that. We would want to defend ourselves, but Jesus didn't respond this way. One of the things that you and me have to realize today is that if we're going to take a stand for Christ, if you're going to call yourself a Christian, Christ's expectation of you and me is to take a stand for him and to boldly stand in front of our peers and in front of our authority proclaiming that jesus is lord that god is god and that you are here today to serve him but if you do that you just need to know you're going to be facing the same rejection that jesus faced by your own peers possibly even by your own authority jesus said this in luke chapter 6 he said blessed are you When men hate you, and when they exclude you, and when they insult you, and when they reject your name as evil because of the Son of Man. When you go out there and you proclaim, I'm a Christian, you're going to face rejection like Jesus did. When you go out there proclaiming that Jesus is God, the son of man, then you're going to face rejection. But Jesus went on and said in another passage in the the book of John, he said, listen, know this, that the world hated me first though, or the world rejected me first. They're not rejecting you, they're rejecting Christ. But this, my friends, is not an excuse for us to not live boldly. Christ very much calls us to live boldly for the kingdom. To live boldly for God's message in in the face of rejection. To live boldly for God. If you want to do that, then when we face this rejection of sharing our faith and living boldly for God, let's respond like Jesus did. Jesus didn't argue. Jesus didn't argue with them. And he didn't defend himself with anger like the religious leaders were doing. And neither should we in this place which we live called Kearney or Ravana or the central part of Nebraska. When Jesus was rejected, Jesus just spoke the truth and he let the truth stand for itself. He said, I am the Son of God. For you and me, that would be, I am a follower of Christ. Jesus is Lord. And he just put it out there. And he let that truth stand for itself without having to argue and get defensive and get all upset and mad like everyone else was getting. Jesus, he just lived the truth. And he rejected fear. I know fear comes on us at times when we consider living our faith boldly in public i know that fear fear is the top three reasons why we don't share our faith it's reason number one two and three and then things all fall underneath there someplace so i realized that but jesus jesus decided you know what i'm going to do i'm going to live the truth and i'm going to reject fear the other thing that Jesus did that we, we could really learn from when it comes to taking our Christianity beyond these four walls is Jesus didn't water down Christ. He didn't water down the kingdom. He didn't water down his Father. He wouldn't be one today that would water down Christianity to meet the world's expectation. That's how you and me are supposed to live, in spite of the fact that rejection from peers and authority would be out there. Jesus faced it, he faced it. But this wasn't the strongest rejection that Jesus faced. In fact, the strongest rejection that Jesus faced would, have, would be found on the cross. In Matthew chapter 27, when at about 3 o'clock, 3 o'clock in the afternoon on the cross, Jesus called out with a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lema sabachnia. Which means, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Why have you rejected me? Why have you turned your back on me? Why am I here without your presence? You need to know today. Jesus knows rejection. And he has compassion on your rejection. And if you've stepped out by faith to share your faith and found rejection in the face of friends, in the face of family, in the face of peers, or in the face of authority, you can take great comfort in knowing this today. So did Jesus. And when you wrestle with the pain of Sharing your faith to those that are your peers in authority, but yet you're being rejected and you're, you're wondering to yourself, you know, what does that mean about you? And you're taking the weight of that on your own shoulders and you're, you're, you're beating yourself up because the message of Christ isn't getting through. You need to know this. Jesus' message was being rejected by his own peers in authority as well. So there's one that can identify with you greater than anyone else on this planet. There's one that you can go to and you can seek in prayer. There's one you can go to and you can lay your burden down before him because he has compassion on you. Where do we have our greatest compassion on this planet? We have our greatest compassion in the areas where we've struggled and we've wrestled and we've found some of our greatest pain. It's until you experience pain in an area that it's hard for many people to have compassion for others. Because you don't know it. You haven't been there. You haven't walked in those shoes. You don't know what people are thinking, what people are struggling with. But Jesus does. He knows what it feels like to have his message rejected. So listen, let's get out there. Let's boldly tell people about the love of Jesus. Knowing that, yes, there's going to be rejection. But there's one who will comfort us. That's not where Jesus' rejection ended that day. I would like to tell you that's the only rejection that he experienced. But things things only got more complicated i'm telling the story out of the four the four gospels they're listed in your notes i want to encourage you to go back and read them later there's so much scripture that i felt like i felt like it would be better for me to tell you this in story format and you could go back and you could read it but starting in mark chapter 14 is one of the passages and in verse 66 we see that the that the rejection that jesus is facing only gets more complicated Here, meanwhile, while Jesus is being questioned, he's being cross-examined illegally, by the way. It was illegal to cross-examine or to put someone under trial during the night. Had to be done during the day in Jesus' culture. At night, he's being cross-examined and beaten, by the way. He's already experiencing some of the punishment of what wasn't even rightfully due him. Peter, Peter, the disciple, the one who, yes, ends up denying Christ, Peter has followed Jesus. All the other disciples ran away, but Peter and one other disciple, we believe that other disciple to be John. Because in the Gospels it talks about Jesus being drug into the courtyard of the high priest. And one of the disciples going in. In fact, being welcomed in. He knew knew the woman who was at the gate, guarding the gate. He evidently, his family had access to the high priest's house for one reason or another. And he finds his way in. We believe that disciple to be John. Peter comes along and he's with John, following at a distance, and he comes to the gate and he can't get in. John walks up to the gate and says, hey, I know that guy, let him in. The door opens, Peter walks in. Peter now finds himself standing next to a fire about four o'clock in the morning. It's cool, it's the cool of night. There's a fire that's burning in the courtyard. The guards that just had arrested Jesus are there warming themselves. Right, Some of the lower teachers of the law that probably weren't close in the, in the surroundings with Jesus are out there warming themselves by the fire. And here is one of the disciples of Jesus where all the others had scattered warming himself by the fire. And then all of a sudden, the girl who had been watching the gate, it dawned on her. Where have I seen that guy before? I think I've seen that guy. And she walks up to him And says, you were one of those with Jesus, weren't you? Peter said, I don't know what you're talking about. And he moves away from the fire because the fire is now illuminating his face. And he's realizing, "Uh uh-oh, I may have been found out. And he walks away from the fire into a darker corner of the courtyard. And there he hangs out for a moment. The girl can't let it go. And she begins to talk with those around the fire. I'm, I'm not joking with you guys. I think that that guy, I think he's one of those. In fact, I, I'm pretty sure I saw him in the garden. I, I think he's the guy who pulled the sword out and he swung the sword. I, I'm, I'm almost positive. And so some of the people around the fire, along with the girl, come back to him. And they say, you, you definitely are one of them, aren't you? And Peter denied it again. He said, no, that's not me. I'm telling you, you got the wrong guy. You got the wrong guy. He pulls his cloak up. You can almost see him pulling his cloak up. Pulling it over his head as he just kind of backs away. And an hour goes by. An hour goes by. Getting close to 5 o'clock in the morning. Peter's still there and the fire's still blazing and people are still talking. And they come to him a third time. And they say to him, you must be one of the disciples of Jesus. Because we can hear your accent. And your accent is from Galilee. And then Peter rips back the cloak and with rage and anger as if you haven't believed me to this point I'm gonna I'm gonna let you know how serious I am And the Bible says that he swore a curse on me if I'm lying I don't know this man that you're talking about And this is a profound moment because Peter was in the court in a place where he could see where Jesus was at and as Peter swears I'm not this man I don't even know who you're talking about May there be a curse on me if I'm lying to you. One of the Gospels of Luke says that he looked over and his eyes connected with Jesus. And as his eyes connected with Jesus, Peter is overwhelmed with emotion. He begins to weep bitterly so much that he can't control it. He can't do anything else but run back out of the same gate that he had been given access to. And Jesus now knelt in the corner of the courtyard, being jeered and shouted out periodically, now finds himself rejected by the ones that he loves the most. Maybe you you and I have found ourselves that place. Jesus rejected by the ones he loves the most. All of his disciples have left. Remember that. Peter was at least brave enough to follow him. But just like Jesus had promised, Peter rejected him. He saw he rejected him three times like Jesus had said, Can you imagine what was going on in the mind of of Christ as he gazes into the eyes of Peter? I can only imagine that at that moment, it wasn't like, I told you so. It wasn't, see, I was right. That wasn't the eyes. I can only imagine the eyes of Jesus reflected back on moments when Jesus walked by a fishery. And he calls out to some men and he says, come follow me. And Peter's one of those that walks away and says, I'm going to follow him. I'm sure that those are the thoughts that ran through, through the eyes of Christ. Here's a man who gave it all to follow me. I'm sure that Jesus remembers the moment where he came up and, you know, basically freaked out all of his disciples as he walks on the water, only to hear one voice shout out from the boat. If you really are, if you really are, Jesus, then call out and I'll come out to you. And then Peter climbs out of the boat, boat so boldly. So by such faith and begins to walk on the water to Jesus you can almost see Jesus as he knelt down in the corner of the courtyard you know gazing into the eyes of the one who had the boldest faith to step out of the boat and walk to him you can only imagine that Jesus reflects back just about an hour and a half ago to the moment when he's there and here's these couple of hundred guys and all of a sudden he watches one of his own disciples when all of his, the other disciples take a couple of steps back Peter takes a step up and pulls the sword and swipes off a guy's ear can only imagine that in the eyes of Jesus, he's looking at Peter and he's going, man, that guy, that guy's got some extreme faith. That guy really loves me. That guy, that guy really is for me. can only imagine that that is the memories that Jesus had as they raced through him, as he remembered to himself very quickly, Peter, you're the one that I said I was going to build my church on. And Jesus almost reminded himself at that moment, I wasn't lying when I said I was going to build my church on a man like you. I'm still going to build my church on a man just like you. And Jesus finds himself rejected by the ones that he loves the most. It's a painful moment when you find yourself rejected that way. I remember when my youngest daughter walked into my living room at her age of 19 walked into my living room and asked me to turn the TV off and then began to tell me how she had rejected my teaching and she rejected my parenting and she had rejected my instructions and that she had been sleeping with a boyfriend and now she was pregnant. I remember that feeling of being rejected, of my teaching, of my parenting, of my instruction, of my guidance, of the wisdom, of the responsibility as being a parent. I remember feeling like, you know, I loved you. I love you the most. I love you more than I love anyone else on this planet. But yet you rejected it. I know that feeling. I remember the feeling of my son at the age of 18. You know, finding out that he had been dabbling with, you know, marijuana. And I remember sitting in my living room just devastated as I'm looking at my son and I'm, I'm thinking to myself, Man, what in the world, why would, you, why would you reject my instruction and my teaching and my training? Why would you turn your back and do the kind of things that you knew would hurt me? Why? Now, thankfully, praise God, both of those, those guys, like all of us, we go, through our, we go through our struggle moments. Amen? We go through moments that are things that don't reflect us. There are moments that don't define us. The moments that really don't create my identity, but they're moments that we struggle with. And I've watched them, you know, rebound from those moments. But I know what it feels like to raise children only to have them sense or feel like they reject your teaching. I know my response. My response was not the right response. My response was, do you understand what that says about me? Right? Is that, is that honest enough with you? Do You understand? We take it upon ourselves. And what does that do? It pushes us away from loving the ones that, that rejected us. Or we go to the opposite ditch, many of us. And we begin to enable the ones that rejected us in their own sin. We begin to enable them so that somehow we might be able to overlook their rejection so that we can maintain relationship so that we can subdue some of our own pain. We find ourselves in one of those places. You need to realize today that people are human. And humans are going to hurt each other. We live on a decaying planet with imperfect people. And there are times when the rejection of others will cause consequences that hurt. But in your heart, you and me have to learn how to respond like Jesus. And I'm thankful to stand before you to tell you that these next few steps are the ones I eventually came around to. Oh, I wish I came at them at the very beginning. But none of us are perfect. But I came around to follow what Jesus did in a moment like this with Peter. Jesus in his heart offers forgiveness. That's the the first one. When we're rejected by the ones we love the most, we have no other option if we want to be like Christ. We must offer forgiveness. The second thing Jesus offers is compassion. When we're rejected by the ones we love the most, we must offer compassion. We must be able to dig in where they're at Feel their pain, because they're feeling pain as well. They're feeling it. It's on their shoulders. Peter ran out of that gate and went back to fishing. Didn't even consider himself to be worthy to be a disciple of Christ, possibly. Feel the compassion to help restore the ones that we love the most, when when and if at all possible. And then never burn the bridge for future relationship. It's not worth it. You and I should not be the people that are burning bridges with people just because they rejected us. That's not godly. Just because you got hurt over and over again doesn't give you the right to burn the bridge. If they want to burn their side of the bridge, that's their right. You and me should always be extending the hand, even to the one that's rejected us that we love the most. That's how Jesus responded. But unfortunately, we end up hurting the people that we love the most, don't we? People we love the most are the ones we hurt the most. And listen to this. Jesus knows that level of rejection. So if you're in a place today where the people that you've loved the most have hurt you the most, there's one who knows that feeling. He knows what it's like to be rejected by the ones he loved the most. So where should you bring your pain? Where should you bring your sorrow? Where should you bring your comfort? To Him. can identify. He knows that feeling. These were the feelings that he had wrestling inside of his heart as he's being led even to the place of the cross. And then in Mark chapter 15 verse 1, all of a sudden about 5 a.m. in the morning, Jesus is cold now from sitting over in the corner away from the fire. It's been a long night in the open air. He's been beaten. He's been mocked. He's been tied up with ropes. He's had to listen as the religious leaders and the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the elders of the church have schemed and they've plotted to come up with just the right story to rally the crowds so that when the sun rises and they march him out into the middle of the street, people would pour out of their homes and begin to chant in front of Pilate, crucify him, crucify him. Jesus is having to listen to this all night long. Jesus is literally just waiting to be picked up and taken to the place of crucifixion. That's all he can wait for. When suddenly they disband and they rally around him and they jerk the very rope that's been around his neck and they jerk him back up into his feet and they drag him out to the streets and the procession begins on the way to a trial of Pilate, of which you'll hear much more about next week. And where does Jesus find himself? He finds himself now rejected by all. Where are all the accusers? Where are all of his followers? None of them are to be found. Jesus is surrounded by his accusers, Jesus is in a place of the humanity of man being vulnerable to the loneliness. Some of us at times can feel so rejected and we can feel so beat up and we can feel so shameful and so guilty of where we're at in life that, we, that the enemy does a classic act on us. He takes us and he puts us in a place of, make, of making us feel like we're an island unto ourselves. That no one has experienced what we have. No one can understand our hurt and our pain. We're on an island to ourselves. No one can rescue us but us. And we just become demoralized, beaten up, you know, mocked on the inside. We mock ourselves. We beat ourselves up. And we just live in this island unto ourselves. It's a classic act. Jesus was tempted to feel that way. Jesus was tempted to embrace the loneliness of that moment of being rejected by all. But Jesus knew something. Jesus knew that this rejection was to come. So in Mark chapter 8, verse 31, it says, Then Jesus began to tell them, he was speaking to his disciples sometime back, and he said to them, that the Son of Man must suffer many terrible things and be rejected by the elders, the leading priests, and the teachers of religious law. He would be killed, but three days later, he would rise from the dead. Let me interject the thought. That it's the rejection that Jesus faced that led him to the cross. It was the rejection that Jesus faced by all. Being rejected by all allowed him to go to the cross. Can you imagine what it would have been like standing before Pilate if 50% of the people were yelling, crucify him. And 50% of the people were yelling, set him free. That's not the way it ended up. Jesus ends up before Pilate with all in unified voice, crucify him. No one is saying, set him free. See, you and me, we desperately needed the cross, and we desperately needed the resurrection of Jesus. Why? Because the cross took the rejection out of sin. That's why. When Jesus gave his life and he rose again, the power of sin was broken. God was once again able to have intimate, close relationship with you and me. It's the cross. The cross took the rejection out of sin. That God could finally forgive us of our sin and be close to us. We're no longer rejected, but we're given the titles of sons and daughters of God. So John 1 is true when it says that he came. Jesus came to his own people. And even they rejected him. But through all who believe in him and accept him, he gives the right to become children of God. So the rejection that we feel, you know, from our sin, sometimes is a hard thing to fight off. We feel that rejection, we feel how sin separates us from God, the Bible says. And that's a hard thing to kind of get off of our shoulders. But I'm telling you today, you must fight through that. You must trust in the one who paid the price on the cross so that the rejection of your sin might be broken. You can trust him today. You don't have to live by guilt and shame you can let guilt and shame dwindle away at the power of the cross. That's possible. Jesus took the rejection upon himself so that you and I wouldn't have to experience rejection from God. That's the power of John three sixteen and 17. That for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever would believe in him would not be rejected. God sent his son into the world... Not to reject the world or condemn the world, but to save the world through him. You and me are not rejected by God because the cross took the rejection or took the sting out of sin. But some of you may feel like today you've rejected God so much that life can't ever get any better than this. Maybe you've you've rejected God's law to live your own life. Or you've rejected the biblical raising of your youth and you chose to live how you think is best. Or maybe you've rejected a biblical truth and embraced a worldly truth, or a worldly lie, excuse me. Or you've rejected being a Christian to peers just sheerly out of fear. Well, you need, to know, you need to know something. Jesus doesn't leave people in their rejection. Jesus came and he found Peter. After his resurrection, he hunts down one disciple on a boat out in the lake, fishing. And he comes to him, and he builds a fire on the shore, and he gets some fish, and he makes a meal, and he calls out to Peter, and he asks him to come to the shore to meet with him. In your Digging Deeper notes, that passage is there. I want to encourage you to read it, because Jesus goes to the one who felt rejected, and he goes to him, and he restores him. See, the end of the story is powerful. Why did Jesus do that? Listen carefully. Why did Jesus go and restore Peter, and why is Jesus here to restore you from the rejection you feel from others, and the the rejection of your sin that you feel maybe from God? Why is Jesus here to restore that, and to break the, the curse of that rejection? Because only Jesus can see the real you. If you haven't heard anything else in this message, you better sit up, and you better hear these next few words. Jesus is the only one that can see the real you. Not even you can see the real you at times. Only Jesus can. See, Jesus is the one who saw the real Peter when Peter protested at the table. Remember Jesus at the table, at the the meal? He says to him, you're going to deny me. And Peter rises up and he protests and he goes, not me. Jesus saw the real Peter at that moment. Yeah, he saw the real Peter, not me. Jesus saw the real Peter draw his lonely sword out in the garden with 200 people possibly standing there with him. He saw him draw it. He saw the real Peter as he stood up with a blazoned heart of bravery and courage. Jesus saw the real Peter follow him to the high priest's house when all of his other disciples but one had fled. It wasn't the real Peter. It wasn't the real Peter who cracked under pressure and rejected knowing Jesus. That wasn't the real Peter. Peter. Only Jesus can see past your failures today. Only Jesus can see past your sin and see your true potential. And it's only the love of Jesus that can see the real you. Yeah, Peter might have failed. And he might have rejected knowing Jesus. But it's because of his bravery and because of his courage that he was even there in the first place. Peter might have failed, but he failed in a place that none of the other disciples were even willing to go. Today, God looks past your failures and He sees your heart. God looks past your failures. He looks past your rejection and He sees the real you today. He sees the real you. So, what sin stands between you and God today? Because when God looks at you, He looks beyond your sin, He sees the real you. You see the rejection that your sins brought. Maybe that needs to come to this altar today and be laid down before God. Maybe you just are overwhelmed with the condemnation of the rejection of living your faith out, but only, only to have others deny you and turn their back on you, and you feel guilty for that for some capacity. Or you're wrestling here today with the pain of being rejected by others. You need to know today, Jesus looks beyond your rejection, whether it's your rejection of God or it's the rejection of others towards you, and he sees the real you. He sees the real you, and he believes in the real you, and he wants to restore the real you. So, why don't you stand with me today? Let's just come before God in an attitude of prayer. Would you bow your heads with me, please? Has the real you been been hiding underneath some layer of rejection? Has the real you been hiding and you know lumbering and straining? Underneath the weight of the rejection that you feel like the behavior of your life brings upon you, you feel the weight of your sin weighing down so much that you're wondering to yourself if God even cares, if God even loves, you can even break free of those things. You need to know today, Jesus is here to restore. That means he's here to break the curse of rejection. He's here to break the curse of sin. He's here to break the pain that rejection causes on this earth. He's here today to restore because Jesus loves the real you. Can we pray together? Father, in the midst of you walking through incredible moments of rejection, in your heart, you still had compassion. You showed compassion. In your heart, you didn't give up hope on those that followed you. In your heart, you realized you were going to the cross so that the cross might break the curse that the rejection of our sin brings. Jesus, you are so amazing. Your love is beyond what we can even describe. In a four-letter word called love, it doesn't hardly even seem like it gets close to understanding what your true heart is for us. And today, Lord, you're reaching out and you're going for those that feel rejected in one capacity or another. Lord, you have compassion to restore. Lord, will you show us the real us? Today, will you open up our eyes and help us to see who we really are, how you see us? You see a person of hope. You see a person of destiny. You see a person of purpose. You see one that you put a calling on their life. And you've not abandoned that calling regardless of how they've lived their life. But you're a God who doesn't turn his back and give up. You're a God who continues to love and reach out and to restore us. Even when our own sin has rejected you. Lord, today may we find comfort in a God who put himself on this earth and walked as a man experience the very rejection that we have to experience May you show up in this place today god and draw us close to you in jesus name with every head bowed and every eye closed i want to challenge you today who's here in this place that would say you know what pastor jeff i i'm i'm one of those people that feel i feel rejected at times by my by my own sin i i I feel like that it's hard for me to come to god at times and today I'm, I'm sensing that God's drawing me to Him and He's wanting to break that curse of rejection. He's wanting to break that curse of sin that I might have relationship again with Him. Either renewed relationship or for the very first time, allow me to be the Lord and the leader of my life. If you're here today and you would say, my sin weighs upon my shoulders at times that makes me feel rejected by God and I, don't, I, don't, I know that God's come to set me free from that and I want Him to set me free. Like, would you just put your hand up so I, so I might be able to pray with you? Yeah, just put it up. Be bold about it. Just keep it up. It's fine. People's hands are up all over this auditorium. All over the auditorium. Why? Because Jesus sees the real you. He looks beyond those things, and you sense that today. I see that hand. I see your hands. You can put them down. As we move into a time of worship today, These altars are not just for people that raise their hands. These altars are also for people that have walked through the pain of rejection and need the Comforter to come and wrap His arms around us and to embrace us. It's a place to come and go, Rejection is not going to stand between me and my Savior. I'm going to run to Him. I want to encourage you today, whether you raised your hand or you didn't raise your hand, find a place at this altar and let the Holy Spirit break the curse of rejection and stand before your Savior face to face confessing your sin to him knowing that he sees the real you and only he can restore you let's use these next two songs as a time to respond to god